I'm wondering tonight if anyone has ever been weary in the battle. I just wonder if anyone has grown tired of the fight. If there's anyone here tonight that would say with me, I am tired of battling the enemy. I wonder if you've ever grown heavy in the middle of the battle, burdened down and weighed down, feeling like you don't have one more fight left in you. If that's you tonight, the message of Exodus 17, I hope, will minister to you the way that it has to me in the midst of a pretty pressing battle. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Exodus chapter 17. Someone commented to me last week uh, that prior to the message last week, she did not make the connection that throughout the book of Exodus that Moses was a picture of Christ our deliverer, that Pharaoh was a picture of Satan and Egypt a picture of the world. And and I thought that I had been making that clear, so I just want to reiterate it to you again this week, remembering that as we study about the Israelites coming out of Egypt, it's a picture of our redemption, our deliverance from the slavery to sin into freedom. We are no longer slaves to sin. Then as we follow the Israelites through the wilderness en route to the promised land, we grasp and will continue to grasp a picture of learning to walk by faith amidst trials and the battle of the two natures in the journey through life. And over the past several weeks, we have seen the faith of the Israelites be tested, and we have witnessed the Lord be faithful to them and deliver them and prove his faithfulness to them. And tonight, we're going to see another aspect of our Christian walk in the life of the Israelites. No longer will we see God bailing them out of trouble and trial. Now, he was go- now tonight, in tonight's message, he's going to teach them to fight, to war. A group of people who had only known slavery and, and, and only know what it was like to surrender to a force bigger than them was now going to have to rise up and learn to fight with the Lord as their banner. Psalm 144 says, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers to battle. I love that scripture. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. A rock there is a fortress or strength. It's a picture of him being our protection, our strength, our our very present help in times of trouble. He's not just a rock. The scripture says my rock. He is our personal rock, our personal fortress. He's not there for everyone else and you're excluded. He is your rock and your fortress. And not only is me my fortress, he gives me strength. And not only does he give me strength, this scripture says he is my strength. Do you know that he is your strength? Notice that in Psalm 144, the writer was not expecting God to do all the work, but rather he was willing to do the fighting and to put his hands to work. That's why he says he trains my hands for war. A trainer is a teacher. 
God is our teacher. Our teacher for what? To learn how to battle. Is he your teacher to teach you how to battle? Are you allowing him to do that? Are you allowing him to teach your hands to war and your fingers to battle? That means it involves you. We don't just to sit back and say, God, zap this situation and fix it for me. He wants us to learn to battle. He wants us to learn to war. The, uh, the treasury of David says, untrained force is often an injury to the man who possesses it. And it even becomes a danger to those who are around about him. And therefore, the psalmist blesses the Lord as much for teaching as for his strength. He wants to teach you to war. He's given you the same power that raised Christ from the dead living inside of you. And he wants you to use that power to learn how to battle the enemy. Because your battle is not against, can I just tell you, that your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the person sitting next to you. It's not against your spouse. It's not against your children. It's not against your employer. It's not against Susie who's difficult to deal with down the street. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and evil forces. It's against the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he is out for your life. Can I just tell you that? And we have got to get wise in the way we're, we're learning to fight. We're fighting one another instead of fighting where the, fight, where the battle really needs to take place, and that's on our knees. David was singing this psalm in 144. Uh, he trains my, my hands to war, my fingers to battle when he was standing against Goliath. He was reminding himself that the Lord was his strength, his fortress, and he was training him. Goliath was all about teaching him how to war. Your Goliath that you're facing right now in your life is all about God teaching your hands to war and your fingers to battle. It's a training ground. Goliath was a training ground for David. We're going to see more about God teaching people to battle in, in our scripture passage tonight. Exodus 17, we're going to read verses 8 through 16. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. We remember from last week that Rephidim means resting place. I, I will tell you that some of my biggest battles happen right after a resting place. I, I get to a place where I almost get a little afraid if my life is too easy because I'm expecting the next big battle to come. I expect that he's just, he's just resting me up for the next battle. So he came and fought with Israel at Rephidim, and Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. I just want to stop for a moment and, and say that that word prevailed there means to be strong, to be powerful, to be mighty. And I don't want you to miss that when Moses' arms were raised, I can take you to scripture after scripture that talks about raising your hand in prayer, raising your hands in worship. Well, when we raise our hand, it's like surrendering. It's like saying, God, this is all you. I, I, I'm surrendering to you. I, I, I'm leaning on you. I'm lifting my hands to you. 
And when his hands were lifted in surrender to the Lord, looking to him in prayer and in worship, he prevailed. He was strong. He was powerful. He was mighty. And can I tell you, dear ones, the place of power, the place of might, the place of strength comes in prayer and seeking the Lord, in worshiping him and acknowledging him as the only source of victory. And as long as his hands were raised, he prevailed. But when he let down, and that word let down there, if you look it up in the Hebrew, it means to rest, to settle, to be quiet, to take a rest. See, some of you say, well, I just need to go to church on Sunday morning and I've done my duty. Is there any wonder why Amalek is prevailing in your life? Why the enemy is prevailing in your life? We don't have the luxury of taking a rest. Well, we need to be sharp. We need to be in his presence. We need to be in his word. We need to be spending time in prayer because that's where our power comes from. And we see that as long as Moses' hands were raised in prayer and in submission to the Lord, he prevailed. He was strong. He was powerful and mighty. But when he rested, when he settled down and got comfortable, his hand, which is symbolic of strength or power, when he let that down, the enemy prevailed. Verse 12, but Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial, a reminder, if you will in the book and recounted in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. I want you to notice that he didn't call the, the Lord my banner. He called the altar. You see, we, we always say the Lord's name is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner, but we, we, we've misquoted it here because here it says he named the altar, the Lord is my, my banner. Do you see that? For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. I want you to see how verse 8 begins. I read it to you from the New King James Version, but I believe it's the ESV, if I'm not wrong, and I can't find it here in my notes, but I think the ESV says, and then, does somebody have the ESV? Tonight, I think it says, and then Amalek came and fought with Israel at, at, at um, Rephidim. Yeah, I have it here. It is the ESV that says, then came Amalek. <laughs> Do you see that that is the connection to the previous story? Even though I taught it last week, I, I, and I promised you I would only do a chapter a week, I would stick to a chapter a week, I said to you, I need to break this apart because it was so important that you understood the first portion of this chapter, that you understood that when Moses smite the rock, it was a picture of Jesus being smitten for us. Do you remember we talked about that last week? For those of you that weren't here, they were thirsty, they were, they were, they were dry, they were parched. <laughs> Can I just tell you, in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water, he is everything you need. And the Bible says that Moses smited the rock and, and, and water poured forth like a river. It poured forth enough to feed 5,000 plus people. Can you imagine the amount of water that poured forth? What did I say last week that the water was symbolic of? No, the rock was symbolic of Christ. What was the water 
symbolic of. Times of refreshment. So what is times of refreshment? The Holy Spirit living within you. Because when we drink of the Holy Spirit, he'll be springs of living water pouring out of our life. And so we talked about how the water pouring forth from the rock last week was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to understand that there's a connection to that story now in tonight's story. Because it says, then Amalek came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim, at the, at the resting place. So the Holy Spirit is drawing our attention to when the Israelites were attacked, when the Amalekites came. It came after that which was symbolic of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Can I tell you, up until this time, they did not have to fight. God did all their fighting for them. But the Holy Spirit, the picture that was symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming, now they have to learn to fight. Oh, can I tell you, the Holy Spirit is living within you. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you drank from the fountain of, of God, the Holy Spirit came and poured forth life within you. He's living in you. And now he wants to teach your hands to war and your fingers to battle. Why did the did Malachites came to attack Israel at that moment? Besides the fact that I think it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit, because they're in the desert. And water is scarcity in, in a desert, is it not? There was a prized possession. And all of a sudden, this is their territory. And they're seeing water come flying out of a rock and flowing down over the mountain. And, and 5,000 plus people are drinking from it. They want that water. And they want to take possession of, them, of it. And so they're going to battle for it. That's why the attack came. It wasn't just water, it was flooding the area. Remember, it's, it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit flooding our life. And the enemy did not like, Israel's enemy did not like that they were being refreshed in the desert. Can I tell you, your enemy does not like that you are being refreshed with springs of living water. He does not want you in the presence of God being refreshed by his spirit. He doesn't want you drinking from the spout where the glory comes out. He doesn't want you spending time in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so what he will do is he will come from behind and attack. He will bring and launch an attack on your life to try to lure you away from that place of refreshment. To try to defeat you and to bring depression and despair and hopelessness to war against you. He doesn't like it when the Holy Spirit floods your soul. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Galatians 5 verse 17. I, I just want to read to you from the Passion Translation. So even though you can turn to that, I want you to listen to it from the Passion Translation. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. And tonight, I want to talk to you about the enemy. I, I just, I want you to see that the enemy came and attacked. Remember, everything is symbolic here as well. And so we're seeing a picture of the Holy Spirit flowing forth and refreshing the lives of the people. And the enemy attacks at that moment. Moment. And your enemy, the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, will attack you at that moment. But God wants you to learn how to fight. He wants you to learn how the, the, the Amalekites are going to be, uh, they're, they're, they're a picture of the flesh. You say, Rhea, where do you get that? The Amalekites, I think it's in Genesis maybe, don't quote me, like 39, not even sure, but it's somewhere in Genesis. The Bible says that the Amalekites were descendants of Esau. Do, do you know who Esau is? Isaac had two children, and they were Jacob 
and, and Esau. Who did Jacob become after he wrestled with God and God changed his name? Israel. Who are we talking about right now in the book of Exodus? Israel. The people, the descendants of Jacob. Are you with me? So who was Esau? Jacob's twin brother, who was the older twin. Therefore, if he was the older twin, what was he entitled to? A birthright, inheritance. <laughs> and what do we know about Esau? He, he was very, he was a hunter. He was a rugged man. He was a hairy man. And he was the older brother. So he was entitled, stay with me here. He was entitled to, an inherit, to, to the birthright as the older brother. Are you with me? And so Jacob was cooking stew one day. And Esau comes in from hunting, and he's famished. In fact, he uses the word weary. I am so weary that I think I'm going to die. Give me some of that stew. And Jacob, being the deceiver that he was before he was renamed Israel and wrestled with God, said to him, I'll give you some stew. You give me your birthright. And because Esau was impulsive, and gave in to the lusts of his flesh. That's why I tell you the Amalekites who were descendants of Esau, are you with me? Is symbolic of the flesh. Because they're warring against Israel, God's chosen people. The two brothers, the twin brothers, the twin nature, the flesh and the spirit. Are you with me? It's so good, is it not? It's deep. You've got to stay with me because you'll, uh, you'll, you'll get lost in this story if you're not with me. And so Esau so was giving in to his flesh, his weariness, his hunger, and it was worth more to satisfy him in that moment and have that stew. And I'll give you my birthright because that's what the flesh does. The flesh doesn't think long term. The, the flesh doesn't think about what this is going to cost me if I give in to this flesh right now and indulge. And that was Esau. He just wanted what he wanted. And so he said, I'll give up. I'll give up my inheritance. I'll give up long-term good, long-term blessing, Jesus. I'll give it up. Just give me the satisfaction of what I'm lusting for right now. And it cost him dearly. And the Amalekites were descendants of Esau. And so don't kid yourself. They knew that, 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 that Jacob's children, that Israel, his descendants, had been promised a promised land. <laughs> and all they knew is they did not want them to get the inheritance that they deserved. And so, isn't it ironic that the second the Holy Spirit, the sim symbolism of the Holy Spirit being poured forth in that water... <laughs> Second, that strengthening comes. What comes, the Bible says, from the rear. Let, let's just, before we read uh, Galatians 5, I, I want you to read what, what Deuteronomy has to say about this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 25. It is, once again, they're recounting what happened here. Here it is, Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 through 19. We're learning some things about this battle in Deuteronomy that Exodus doesn't give us. It says, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. You were weary. See, we're always, danger. we're always in danger of an attack when we're weary. He says, you were weary and worn out. 
they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. Somebody say lagging behind. They attacked the people who were lagging behind and they had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he is giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget, he says. He says that that they came when they were weary and they were worn out and they met you on the journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. Can I just tell you, you are most vulnerable for an attack when you are lagging behind spiritually. You see, the people who were in the back and the rear, who were weary and worn out and were lagging behind, they were the furthest from the leader. They were the furthest from the leader. Are you hearing me? And when we are furthest from God, from Christ, our leader, when we are not spending time close in close communion and fellowship with him, we are in danger of attack from the enemy. And so... It's a picture of Malachites that are a picture of our flesh rising up against us to keep us from the refreshment of the Holy Spirit, to keep us from the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the enemy of our soul. And he does not want us drinking from the spout where the glory comes out. Galatians 5.17 As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, can I tell you that life in the Holy Spirit is dynamic? It's dynamic. There is power. I I said to Dave the other day, there is nothing worth sacrificing the power of his presence, the anointing of his presence in my life. Because as you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. For your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit. Rhea, you said offend the Holy Spirit? Yes. You see, when we fulfill the lusts of our flesh, it offends the Holy Spirit. Just because we're not preaching that from the pulpits anymore does not change God's word. And God's word says, when we fulfill the lusts of the flesh and we do things that are not pleasing to God, it offends him. For your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from freely living within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. So then the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the Spirit. But when you are bought, brought to the full freedom of the spirit of grace, you will no longer be living under the domination of the law, but soaring above it. The cravings, and listen here, of the self-life, the cravings of the flesh, of the self-life are obvious. <laughs> obvious. I can, I can look at your life and it's obvious. You can look at my life and it's obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, cheating, Chasing after things instead of God. Manipulating others. That's control. Hatred of those who get in your way. Senseless arguments. I want to say that again because it speaks to my heart. Senseless arguments. Resentment when others are favored. Temper tantrums. Angry quarrels. Only thinking of yourself. Being in love with your own opinions, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and other similar behavior. Haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness and action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Keep in mind that, th- that we who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, have already experienced crucifixion. For everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with the Messiah. We must live in the Holy Spirit and follow after him. The New King James says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. I want you to see the Amalekites as a picture of your flesh rising up to battle, to to make you at war with the Holy Spirit's work in your life. That's what was taking place. There was a battle, a war taking place between what is symbolic of the flesh and the Holy Spirit being poured out. And that is the constant battle that we are in. Notice that scripture that I read to you from Deuteronomy says, this will be a battle from generation to generation. The Amalekites battling the flesh is going to be an issue for us from generation to generation. You say, Rhea, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. That is exactly right. You you have been crucified crucified with Christ. The power of sin, the power of sin has lost its power in your life. However, the presence of sin has not. And you have got to rise up and fight it by walking surrendered to the spirit and not according to the flesh. Every time we yield to the flesh, we will do those things that were just listed here. And God wants us to come to a place where when the flesh rises up to battle us, to defeat us, We yield to the spirit living within us. You say, Rhea, I've been saved. I I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Sin doesn't have any power in my life anymore. Are you crazy? Uh, Maybe it doesn't have any power in your life anymore, but it sure does still have it in mine. It's a choice for me. It's a choice for me to yield to the spirit or yield to the flesh. But everything my flesh wants is in conflict. It's it's contrary to what the Spirit wants. And so there's a battle, the Bible says, in me. The two natures are at battle with each other. I want what I want. And the Lord wants what he wants in my life. Because he knows that his pleasant path leads to pleasant places. And that his way leads to life. And yet... It is that battle. Can I get two volunteers to come hold this board up for me so I can just draw a picture? And many of you have seen this illustration before, but, but I, just want to, I just want to do it for you. I, I talk about, the Bible says that we are created in the image and in the likeness of God. God is a tripart being. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is he not? And if you and I are created in his image and in his likeness, and, and it's 1 Thessalonians, Davy, what, 5, 13, something like that, that says, may you be sanctified spirit, soul, and being, three parts. So I'm standing in front of you, and you're seeing my body. I have a body. That's this out here. Let's say this is the body. And in my body, I have a soul. And my soul, where's my Friday morning people? What is my soul? My mind my will, my emotions. I'm an emotional being. I have a mind. I'm a thinker. That's my soul. And then my third area is my spirit. The Bible says that those who, who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. Those who are born from above are, 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 are spirit beings. Are you with me? 
And so when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I was already a three-part being. This was just not a good spirit. Are you with me? And so when I got born again, born from above, what got born again? What got made new? My spirit man got made new. This is new. This is sealed for the day of redemption. Nothing can mess with this. This is the Christ in me, the hope of glory. But what am I still dealing with that didn't get saved? See, maybe you got saved, the whole man got saved for you. Karen, maybe you got, when you came to Jesus, maybe you got really sweet and tender and kind and good and, and you never said anything bad and you never did anything bad, but I didn't. I came to Christ and I still had a temper tantrum occasionally. Uh, and, and I came to Christ and I, I still was mean sometimes. And Because you see, the only thing that got born again was that spirit in me. That's what's sealed for the day of redemption that nobody can mess with. But if I choose to yield, I can either yield to this, which is in the nature of God. It looks like God. It acts like God. It's led by God. Or I can yield to this, my mind, my will, my emotions. Ladies, I hate to pick on you, but do we not yield to our emotions pretty often? And so I have a choice at every point in my life, which one am I going to yield to? Am I going to yield to the spirit in me and do it God's way? Or am I going to yield to the soul in me? See, that's why the Bible says we're transformed by what? The renewing of our what? Our mind. This was not born again. I have to get this renewed. I've got to be transformed by renewing that thing, by, by setting it on things above and not on things of this earth, but by, by putting the word of God in and, and renewing my mind with the word of God. And this out here, this is just going to die and go to the ground. Tell me. I'm just telling you that this body's given out. My eyes are worse than they've ever been. And, and it's given out. My spirit is strong, can I tell you? But this, baby, this is getting old. Uh, but, but do you see how that works? And so what the enemy wants is he knows this is sealed. He knows if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are going to heaven. Nothing can snatch you out of his hand. You're going to heaven. It's by grace that you've been saved, not by works, so that no man can boast. It's a gift of God. So you were sealed for the day of redemption. But boy, my son Tyler is fond of saying, Mom, if the enemy can't, can't keep you out of, or can't send you to hell, he's going to make you live like hell here on earth. And, and that's his goal. If he can keep you out of heaven, he's going to make sure you're living like hell here on earth. And he does that right here by targeting this. Your mind, your will, your emotions. He whispers. And he says, you're not really loved by God. He doesn't love you. You're a loser. You're a failure. Do you know what you did? God saw that. And he whispers. That person over there, they don't like you. They think you're weird. They said this about you. Why don't you get angry? Why don't you keep a record of wrongs? Protect yourself. Don't be stupid. And he whispers, and we listen, because we don't know the voice of love that's contrary to that. And when he whispers, don't forgive them. You know what they did to you. You need to say, no, you know what? I'm walking according to the Spirit. And the ways of the Spirit says forgive because you've been forgiven. That's what I'm going to yield to. Oh, Rhea, come on. They did you dirty. Don't be stupid. Fool you once, shame on you. 
on them for you twice. Shame on you, Rhea. Don't forgive. No, I'm going to yield. I have a choice here. I'm going to give in to the, the flesh and, and, and those lies, and I'm going to make my flesh satisfied by being angry, or I'm going to yield to the Spirit, and that's the way of life. Lord, you tell me that's the way of life. So as hard as this decision is, I'm going to choose to yield because you are the way of life. But you see, that's when the Amalekites rise up because they see that you're drinking from the spout where the glory comes out, the walking in victory. You're seeing the goodness of God, and he doesn't want that. The enemy of your soul does not want that, and so he mounts an attack, a battle. And that's why we have to say, Lord, teach my hands to war and my fingers to battle. I want to look at that scripture again in, in Galatians 5 because Paul emphasizes the, the perpetual struggle that's taking place in our life. He, he says that the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. And that word sets is present tense. It means it's a continuous ongoing battle against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are constantly... It, the word is present tense there. It, it, it is continuously in opposition to one another. It literally means lined up face to face against each other. Our flesh and our spirit are constantly warring, just like the Amalekites were warring against the Israelites. I believe that this, I'm starting to realize that this is the root of every issue in my life. The key to living in victory is to, to live according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. And you see, what we want is we want a zap me mentality. God, can you just fix me? And what he wants is to see you yield to a spirit. He wants you to choose his way, knowing that it leads to life. We have the divine nature living within us. And he wants us to begin to tap into it. The word Amalekite there, Peter Whiffen says, Amalekite may be divided into two words, Amal, which means to toil, and the letter Kuf, with the meaning injection of the life spirit. It means to kill with removal of life spirit. So Amalekite means becoming dispirited through loss of the spirit as a result of hard labor and continuous toil. Malachite represents intellectual doubt and the kind that erodes one's self a belief, sense of belief that God Almighty is running the world. Arthur Pink says, a Malachite means warlike, the things that war against our soul. So let's go back to our story. So we learned that the Amalekites struck the Israelites when they were weary and worn out. I told you that you and I become vulnerable to attack when we're weary and worn out. And like Esau, it was weary when he lost his birthright. The enemy waits for the right moment to steal our inheritance. They were attacked from the rear where the weak and the vulnerable would have been. It was an unprovoked attack. They weren't expecting it. Rarely are we expecting attack. They attacked those who were lagging behind and they did not fear God. It was an unexpected battle like most battles are. What's interesting to me is, is the, the Israelites had been slaves. They never knew war. They never knew how to battle. In fact, some of the commentators said the only reason they had weapons is after the, the, the Israelite crossed the Red Sea and the, and the water went over the Egyptians, that their weapons would have floated up on the shore and, and the Israelites took them for their own. And so they would have been equipped for this battle. But they didn't know how to fight, and they were going to quickly have to learn how to become soldiers. It should have been a bloodbath. 
It should have been an easy defeat, but God was with them and he was on their side. And we're going to see why it was not an easy defeat. The enemy was not threatened by what Israel was. They were threatened by the potential of what they could be when they got to the promised land. And I'm telling you, the enemy wants to keep you from your destiny. He wants to keep you from living in the promises of God. And he does that by attack. He does that by battles and wars within you, by keeping you in a place of battle, by keeping you in a place of defeat. Because he wants to hinder your destiny. He wants to hinder the purposes that God has for your life. And you and I need to learn how to fight. Verse 9, I want you to look at that. It says, And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us, some men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. I want you to see that he chose Joshua for this battle. Can I tell you, whatever battle you're in right now, God chose you for it. He chose you for the battle you're facing. And he knows that you have everything you need to fight that battle. Can I tell you, at the end of this, ver- at the end of this passage, the Bible says that God said, Whisper and recite this into Joshua's ear. Do you know why he said that? Because he wanted Joshua to be able to remember. He knew what he was calling Joshua to do. He knew that Joshua was going to replace Moses. He knew what Joshua had in front of him, and he was using this battle. He chose him for this battle. Dear one, can I tell you, whatever battle you're in right now, God chose you for it. There's something he is forming in you. There's something he's using that battle to prove to you about himself so that the next one you face, you can face with courage and remembrance of what he did in this one. He says, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. It's interesting, in the original language, it says, the rod of the God. Oh, I love it. The rod of the God. Can I tell you that he is the God of your battles? Remember that the rod was a picture of authority, of power. And and Moses said, I'm going to stand at the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And, And the Bible says that when he lifted it up, and it means when he exalted that rod. What does the Bible say? Jesus says that when I am lifted up, when I'm exalted, I will draw all men unto me. Often on a Monday night, I'll pray with the team and I'll say, God, we just lift up your name. Let's just start lifting up your name. And I'll have the team just start exalting the name of Jesus, putting that name above every issue that could be present in this Bible study. And what we're doing is we're exalting the name of Jesus above sickness. We're exalting the name of Jesus above financial issues. We're exalting the name of Jesus above marriage issues. We're exalting the name of Jesus above anything that would come through that door, mental illness. We're exalting the name of Jesus. We're lifting it up because where his name is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. And the Bible says that when Moses lifted up the rod, when he lifted up authority, that that he prevailed, he had power, he had might. And it's a picture of us going in prayer and lifting up the authority, the, 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 the power of God, the word of God. Can I tell you, my team, I am a stickler on them getting the word of God in them because I don't want them praying with you and praying fine sounding words. I want them praying with you up here, praying the word of God because what they do when they pray the word of God over you. They are lifting up authority. They are standing in the authority with the word of God and speaking with authority over you. When I, when I pray for sickness, I am exalting Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer, and I am believing with every ounce of my being that he is who he says he is. And I am lifting up his name. 
I'm exalting his name over the battle you are in. And I'm believing he will be victorious. And that is how we win our battles. Some of you are in a battle with your children right now. You need to exalt the name of Jesus. You need to lift up in authority and power his word. And you need to begin to believe that over what you're seeing in the valley down below. Because that's the trick, isn't it? Joshua, you go down and fight. You get some able men and you start fighting. But, you, but guess what? The battle was not being won on the battlefield. Where was the battle being won? Up on the hill. Up on the hill. Joshua, you stay down here in the valley and you fight. And Joshua, Aaron and her and I, we're going to go up on the mountain where you can see us. When you're fighting and we're going to lift up the power of God. We're going to lift up the authority of God. We're going to lift it up so you can see it. We're going to exalt who he is. So, and, and eventually the, the battle would start to turn and they would go from winning to losing. And, and I'm sure Joshua was thinking, what just happened? And then he'd look up on the hill and, and Moses' arms would be down because the, the Bible says he got weary. His arms got heavy and he couldn't fight anymore. Can I tell you, when you are in the midst of fighting a battle, you get weary. Anybody besides me get weary and your arms get heavy and Moses said I just can't do it I have to put it down and then they started to see when his arms were up they were winning when his arms were down they were losing and so Aaron and her which by the way just another picture of Jesus Aaron is the priesthood he was the first high priest is the picture of our high priest who who can understand everything we've been through because he's been tempted just like we were he, he understands and then her the word means white it's a picture of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus, my soon and coming King, the one who has authority, who rules and reigns, standing on either side of Moses, the deliverer. And when he got weary, you know what they did to him? Scripture says they got a rock. Who is the rock? We learned that last week. It's a picture of Christ. And they, they had Moses just sit down, Karen. Karen and Sandy, can you just come here? They had Moses sit down on the rock. The word sit means to dwell there. It means to abide. As some of you who are weary in battle right now, can I just invite you to a place of dwelling and resting and abiding in the rock of your salvation, of your deliverance. And just you sit on down and you just rest on that rock. And, and now Moses... And Aaron have seen that, 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 or Aaron and her have seen that Moses doesn't have any strength. Now, where do they, how are they going to get my hands up? Oh, no, you're not. Because you're going to have to, you're going to be pulling my arms up like that. You're going to get tired. So what are you going to have to do? You're going to, you're going to probably have to kneel because you can't, you got to get low, don't you? You got to get really low. You got to get 75-year-old. Sandy has to get, I picked wrong, didn't I? Have to get low. She's willing to get low for me. She's willing to get low for me. Because leaders get weary. Leaders get tired of the battle. Aaron and her didn't say, here, let me have that. I want that rod of God. Can I have it now? Can I take my turn with the power of God? They didn't say that. They weren't interested in power. 
They weren't interested in position. They were interested. They understood that the rod belonged in the hand of the leader. They were just there to support the leader. They were there to get up underneath them in prayer. They were there to uphold his arms when he couldn't do it himself because they understand victory is the Lord's. It's not about the rod. It's leaders get tired. But you see where they had to go to support my arms? They had to get low. They had to humble themselves and get in the battle with me. Can I tell you that these sweet two are just a picture of the other nine (laughs) on this team? Do you love them or what? I've been in a battle, a pretty severe one, and I text Leslie today. I said, I need prayer less. I can't. I can't handle the shots that I'm getting. I'm, I'm getting hit right and left. And she sends out a text to the team, and one text came in after another, standing, praying for Rhea, praying for Rhea. I'm here tonight because this team got low and held my arms up so that I could exalt the name of God tonight. That's what the Christian community is called to do. We're called to come alongside each other and hold, hold the arms up when people can't, are weary and tired and can't do it themselves. We're called to stand in the gap with them, to fight the battle with them. Can you imagine Joshua who's never really been in a battle before and he's down in that valley fighting some pretty vicious warriors and he's looking up and he's seeing Moses say, got it right here. I'm holding it up for you. I'm believing. I just want to remind you, Joshua, power. This is what parted the Red Sea, Joshua. That's where the battle belongs. It's not about you. You're, you're fighting, Joshua, but you're just, nothing's being accomplished there. It's being accomplished up here. You see, some of you are fighting your battle in the valley with flesh and blood. And God says, you know what? It's not going to be accomplished there. It's not going to be won there. You've got to get up on the hill. You've got to get in the presence of God. You've got to start believing his authority and his power. You've got to start exalting his name over every situation. And you've got to understand the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Joshua, in verse 10, says he fought with, the, with Amalekite, and it's interesting, that word fought is in perfect tense. It, it conveys a repeated action. In other words, the Amalekites kept coming at them. They didn't give up. See, some of you are in a place right now where you're like, Rhea, I don't have the strength to keep battling this. He's on my tail all the time. He's teaching your hands to war and your fingers to battle, and it is not about flesh and blood. He's calling you to a place on a hill. He's calling you to get up higher in him, to get down lower in him, and to start exalting the name of Jesus. Verse 12 says, but Moses' hands became heavy. That word heavy means burdensome, difficult. Some of you are in that place where, remember, hands are symbolic of strength or power. You just start carrying heavy burdens, and it's getting difficult and and burdensome for you. And when we get in that place of heaviness, the flesh prevails. That's what we saw when Moses was heavy, when he was defeated, when his arms went down, the Amalekites prevailed, or the flesh prevailed. And in those places, we need an Aaron and her to come and hold our arms up. 
The Bible says that when he sat down on the rock and Aaron and her held his arms up, he grew steady. And that word steady means faithful. It means faithfulness. He remained faithful to what God called him to do. It's interesting to me. I'm, I'm really struck that Aaron and her never asked to take the rod. You see, I think sometimes in ministry especially, there are always people waiting to, you know, to be the next in line to hold the rod. They realized the rod was not theirs to hold, the leader was. And Moses could not continue well without support. Verse 13, so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And we know that the sword is what? The word of God. Can I tell you that prayer is not the only thing that's going to defeat the enemy in your life? We've got to get in the word of God. We've got to yield the word of God, the edge of the sword, the sharp part of the sword. Our, our, the Bible says that, that, that the word of God is a double-edged sword. Do you know what a double-edged sword is? A double-edged sword is, is one that, that has two sharp edges. It, it, it cuts going in, it cuts going up, and it cuts going down. It's deadly. It's a deadly weapon. And the Bible says that the word of God is a double-edged sword. It's a, it's a deadly weapon against your enemy. Can I tell you that? And, and you know, double-edged means two-mouthed sword. That, that means that God, when he spoke it in the word of God, he spoke it once, one mouth. But then when I speak it, it becomes a two-mouth sword, and it becomes a deadly weapon. And you see, that's what we have to learn to do when we fight. We've got to fight in prayer using a double-edged sword, using the word of God to cut. To, to, it's a deadly, deadly weapon. When I add my mouth to God's word, when I say the same thing he says about my situation, it becomes a deadly weapon against the enemy of our soul. That's why Psalm 119 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We have got to start hiding his word in our heart. The Bible says that Joshua defeated Amalek. The word for defeated is discomfited. It means to weaken, to disable, to prostate. The Amalekites will pop up again many times in Scripture, many, many times. In fact, you remember God said to Saul, utterly destroy them. Get rid of it completely. Don't leave any behind because that's what he wants. He wants our flesh to be utterly destroyed. But what did Saul do? Does anybody know? He kept the, 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 the cream of the crop out, the things that looked the best, the, 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 the best spoil he left out. He didn't utterly destroy. So he kept the best cattle, the best sheep, and then he left the king as well. And so what happened? The Amalekites, because he did not utterly destroy them, he didn't obey God, God took his king, kingship from him. And then down the line, we see the Amalekites rise up again because he did not, he, he spared some. He didn't utterly destroy them. And God is saying to us, if you don't utterly destroy your flesh, if you keep giving into it, it will be your downfall somewhere down the line. He wants us to utterly destroy it. You say, Maria, that's impossible. Not if we live according to the Spirit instead of according to the flesh. Verse 14 says, verse 14 says that Moses God said to Moses, write this for a memorial, a reminder in the book, not a book, in the book, which is uh, commentators believe now is the Bible, and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. Uh, 
one of the other translations says, rehearse it in the ears or recite it in the ears of Joshua. I love that. Joshua's going to need to remember that, that I am the Lord, his banner. Recite it in his ear. Repeat it to him. I, I want to just read you. Because I, I think sometimes when I preach a message like this, people can leave and feel convicted and, and condemned. And, and, and while I want you to be convicted so you change, I don't want you to leave condemned and, and defeated. And, and what I want you to see, and I, I, hope, I, I hope I could, could teach it clearly tonight, that you see the picture of the Israelites, God's chosen people, the picture of them flowing water, the picture of the Holy Spirit refreshing in their life and empowering in their life. They're drinking from, from the water, the, the rock that is Christ, it says in Hebrews, I think Hebrews, uh, it says in the New Testament. So, so we see a picture of drinking from Christ and that refreshing us and, and strengthening us, the picture of the Holy Spirit in our life and the Amalekites being a picture of the flesh coming and opposing us drinking from the Spirit and walking according to the Spirit. And that conflict that, that this scripture says will be from generation to generation, it'll be the rest of our life, this conflict between the flesh and the spirit. And we have to decide how to war against it. We have to decide that we will defeat the flesh by walking according to the spirit, doing it God's way. Do you see it? Arthur Pink says, there is no way of destroying or eradicating the evil nature within us. Though discomforted, it still survives. Why, it may be asked, does God permit the evil nature to remain in us? Many answers may be given among these, that we may obtain a deeper and personal realization of the awful havoc which sin has wrought in man, the total depravity of our beings, and thereby appreciate the more and marvelous grace which has saved such a hell-deserving wretch." that we may be humbled before God and made more dependent upon him, that we may appropriate to ourselves his all-sufficient grace and learn that his strength is made perfect in our weakness, that we may appreciate the more his keeping power, for left to ourselves with such a sink of iniquity within, we should surely perish. Why doesn't he just... Make us determined to walk according to the Spirit. Because he wants us to depend on him. He wants us to hate what our flesh does so much that we'll lean our entire being on him, that we'll do what his word tells us to do. But you see, it's a choice. This is why I get so upset with the grace message I'm being, I'm being told is being taught right now. That, 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 you know, you just had a bad day, you just messed up, and there's grace Yes, the same grace that saved you empowers you to walk according to the Spirit, empowers you to say no to un un ungodliness, empowers you to say yes to the ways of the, of, of the Lord. He's empowered you to do that, but he waits for you to yield. He waits for us to realize, God, I've tried it my way. I've let my flesh prevail, and it's, it's taken me down paths I don't want to go. And so, Lord, I want to do it your way. Even if it's hard, I understand that your ways are the way to life. You see, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many find it. The world says there's a way to do this. It's okay if you don't forgive. It's okay if you're nasty. It's okay if you, if you do whatever, have sex outside of marriage. It's okay because broad is the road, the one that everybody's on, but it leads to destruction. That one's easy to find. 
but narrow, confining is the road that leads to life. And the Bible says few find that because narrow is the way of the Spirit, the way of the Lord. His ways don't make sense to me sometimes. You mean, Lord, you really, you're asking me to do that? How about asking her to do that? How about their turn, Lord? Maria, this is about you and me, and I'm telling you this is the way to life, but you have a choice. You have a choice to do it or not to do it. And that's what pleases the enemy so much. He tries to entice us away from that place of life and make us live like hell here on earth. And he waits for a weakness, just like the Amalekites did. He attacked the weak and the weary when we're least expecting it. The ones that are lagging behind. The reason I'm teaching all summer long is because I want to give you a place to come <laughs> to sharpen you spiritually because I'm telling you, you cannot lag behind. You've got to stay up front with, with the commander-in-chief of your army. You've got to stay close to the one who's able to bring you through victoriously. And we've got to stop lagging behind spiritually. We've got to stop because that's when we're most vulnerable to attack. One last thing that I want you to see. He says, he named that altar, the Lord is my banner. The Bible says, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nisi. Many of you have heard that before. You see, Dave's a big soccer fan. And when you go to soccer games in England, what do they wave, Dave? Uh, flags. They wave a flag for whatever team. Scarf. They're all wearing scarves and they're whipping them around. And it's the team that they are rooting for, the, the team they're behind, uh, the one they're supporting. In, in army, with armies, they, they have a, a, a banner or an insig where they will, uh, it'll be, for instance, where, what battle was it where they raised the flag and everybody, the American flag, and everybody rallied around it and it turned the course of the war? What battle was that? I do remember. But, but they raised the American flag. They were feeling defeated. And somebody raised an American flag and everybody rallied. And they, they began to realize what America stands for and the force that was behind them. And it turned the course of that war. So when he says, the Lord is my banner... What he wants you to understand is that when you are in the middle of a battle between your flesh and your spirit, when you're in the middle of a battle for your soul, when you're in the middle of a battle with the enemy, you need to understand that he is raising a standard. He is raising the banner saying, here's the rallying point. It's in me. Come running to me because I will be the one who fights your battle. And he was raising that standard. He was raising it for us to rally around. Rhea, when you're defeated, the answer is not to call Leslie or Dave. The answer is to rally around me and understand that I am the one who will fight your battles for you. Your very present help in times of trouble. He is your banner. And he invites you to rally around all that he is and all that he wants to be in the midst of your battle. <laughs>